Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 6. About three weeks ago, we started this journey, and my wife and I have been out of town for the past couple of Sunday mornings, and so we're just now getting back to this. Amen. I want to say thank you to the church family. We've uh, been receiving letters and notes of appreciation in our mail uh, now all this week, and uh, just just sentiments of of, of kindness and such, and uh, we appreciate that wholeheartedly. And our kids, they have received notes as well, and so thankful, amen, for a church that loves us and loves our children, and uh, we appreciate that. You know, normally you don't look forward to going to the mail anymore, but the past few weeks have been kind of just waiting to see what's going to come in the mailbox. And, and so it's been, it's been encouraging, and thank you for your kindness and your love and, and being thoughtful and uh, appreciative of, of our family. I thank you for that. Thank you wholeheartedly. And those are things that, uh, since they're not just spoken in a moment, and uh, as we get older, our memories don't recall as well. Those are things that uh, my wife and I decide we're just going to put in a book when it's all said and done, just be able to have any moment, just pull out and can go back through there because written form can stay as long as you keep it. And uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, so glad to have our guests with us this morning. I'm glad to have my mother-in-law and father-in-law, amen, with us today. And they've been here for Mariah's birthday. We've been delinquent and getting her birthday shoved in the month of September. So we had to wait till October. And so thankful for them being here uh, today from the lovely state of Tennessee. And uh, see, y'all, everybody wants to go to Tennessee, and they came to Illinois. And I don't understand really what the ordeal is. But uh, amen. They're following their daughter, I suppose, she said. But Amen. Proverbs chapter number six, going to start with number 12. Three weeks ago, we started a series called Seven Things God Hates. And if you will remember, in that first lesson, we uh, focused and honed in on the idea that there are things that God hates, and it wasn't necessarily people. But in order to have a relationship and be close with God, if you practice the things that God hates, God will still love you. He just can't get intimate with you. And so we're going to continue on this journey here today, starting in verse 12. The Bible says, a naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Forwardness is in his heart, he deviseth mischief continually, he soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Verse 16, six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. He that soweth discord among the brethren. Today, I want to I talk to us about, and we'll get there eventually. I still have some uh, introductory things, I believe, to, to manage before we get there. But I want to talk to us today about a, pride look, a proud look. Pride is the, 
is the seed of all that, but a proud look this morning of these seven things that God hates. Hallelujah. I know we have already prayed at different times for different things in this service, but I'm asking you just to pray one more time. God would open our ears, our minds of understanding to hear what the word is saying, what the spirit is saying through his word this morning. God, I come to you today. I'm asking Lord Jesus for your help in this service. I'm asking, oh God, that you would touch the mind of every individual that is here. God, their understanding that you're able to open that, their ears, Lord. God, that they could hear, Lord, clearly. God, with any, without any admixture, Lord, but clearly what the Spirit is trying to say through the Word today. God, I know, Lord Jesus, many times the Word speaks clear, but it's just on this side, Lord God, of things that I meddle, Lord, sometimes what the Word is trying to say. But I'm praying, oh God, today that you give us clarity, Lord, in this building this morning. God, as we teach the Word of the Lord, God, will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. And can the church say amen? Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Something that I want to still yet wade through as an introductory here to this series. I asked you a few weeks ago that if you looked at the entirety of Proverbs chapter number 6, it goes through a couple of sections of the first section, first few verses kind of concentrate upon bad business decisions. If a person were to be surety or in modern day language, co-sign for another individual that you might want to be careful in doing that because if they were to default on a loan, then that becomes your responsibility, of course. And then the next section talks about the sluggard or the sloth, the one that is lazy and not diligent to do the work when the work is needing to be done. It uh, speaks of that individual having a little bit of slumber, a little bit of sleep, a little folding of the hands, the sluggard, the idle individual. And then we get to what speaks of the naughty person, the wicked man. And it talks about all the different actions that this person has with his eyes or his hands or his feet. And then we get to the seven things that, that God hates. And so it's with this being said that I believe that the section before our focus of the seven things that God hates, the section before that, the naughty person, uh, the wicked man, is the man that practices the seven things that God hates. And we'll get to that just a little later. But also, if we back up again, I believe that the section even before that also tongue and grooves with our study this morning as well. Because that section is concentrating upon the sluggard. It's concentrating upon this sleeping, slumbering individual. The sluggard is a sloth in many, in many ways. He is idle. He is idle. And I'm not convinced this morning that the sluggard of verses 6 through 11 isn't also the naughty, wicked person of verses 12 through 15. Because it is this person that even comes about, as I said, that will practice the seven things that God hates. And there is a shift, if you notice it, in verses 6 through 12. Once you get then to verses 12 through 15, there is a shift. Because you have this sluggard, you have this slothful person, there's the sleepiness, there's the folding of the hands, there's the inactivity, there is the idleness. And then you come to the next section of the naughty, wicked man, and you see all these verbs that are used there, all this action that's taken place. It's speaking of this man. He walks and he winks and he speaks and he teaches and he devises and he sows. And it seems quite 
quite a contrast. Pastor McGee, how in the world could you say that the sluggard could be this naughty man? Because one is very idle. One seems not to be doing much. And then the other seems, man, there's a lot of activity going on. He's walking and winking and speaking and teaching and all these things. How in the world can we, can we harmonize these two? Because this naughty, wicked man is very much so active. But I, 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 I uh, uh, put for your, your consideration today that both the sluggard and the naughty wicked, I'm going to probably call him that, both naughty wicked man, uh, spell ruin for an individual. Because here's the thing, not being industrious, not being active in a positive manner may prove to be disastrous. But also being industrious and active in a negative manner may be just as industrious as not doing anything. You can be inactive and that be disastrous. But you can be active about the wrong things and be just as much disastrous as if you did nothing. Nothing. So what it, what it boils down to is not, not the idea or the concept of one being busy or one being not busy or one being idle and one being active. But the deal breaker is this. What are we busy or not busy about? What are we busy or not busy about? Because a person, quite quite frankly, may be idle, may be inactive in some aspects of their life, but yet, on the other hand, majorly busy in other respects of their life. Mr. Trapp said it like this, and I agree with him 100%. He said, idleness lends itself to negative busyness. My great-grandmother used to always say, idle's hands. Y'all heard it too. She was your grandma. I didn't know. We're related. <laughs> Idle hands, the devil's workshop. Idleness lends to negative busyness. He said idleness many times is the hour of temptation. The Bible says in Matthew 25 and verse 26, Matthew 25, this houses the story uh, that was being told of the the master who was given his servants different talents. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, and to one he gave one talent. He was going to go away and he would come back and see what they had done uh, with this, this talent, these talents that he had given them. When it came to the one with five, he had traded and he had doubled the amount of talents that he had, so he had ten that he could return to the master. Whenever he came to the one with just two, again, there was this doubling effect, and he was able to return it to the master. And then to the one that he gave one talent, he did not trade, he did not do anything industrious, he was idle, if you will, with what the master had given him. The Bible says he hid it in the ground, and he gave what was the master's back to the master. And this is what the Lord's response was to him in this story, Matthew 25 and verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful or idle servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. So this, this is, again, a parable story here concerning the kingdom of heaven and what is like unto. And make, make a, a, a denotation here in verse number 26 that when the Lord spoke to this man, he said, wicked and slothful. The, 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 the Lord does not make any difference between being wicked and being slothful. 
or being wicked and being idle. And I believe this is one reason that I believe that in our story in Proverbs 6 or what we're looking at in Proverbs 6 that the sluggard of one section of the chapter is the wicked man of the next section of the chapter because even in the parable that the Lord used in Matthew 26 he made no difference between the idle and the wicked so I believe we're dealing with the same person we're just getting different views into the life of this individual now look if you will at verses 12 through 12 through 15, look at all the members of this naughty person, this wicked man. Look at all the members of this man's body that's involved in doing what he is doing. If you start to look down through that list, we see that he has engaged his mouth. He's engaged his eyes, his feet, his fingers. The Bible even tells us that his heart is engaged. And so with that being said, these different members of his body that are engaged, we're going to do a little comparison here. But I see them Then this naughty, wicked man is a man that is probably the Lord is, is looking at and terming in verses 16 through, 16 through 19 that are practicing these seven things that the Lord hates. Just bear with me a moment as we look at the correlation. It'd probably been well if I put up two columns and had done some type of list for you and drew lines, but I didn't. So you're just going to have to follow in your Bibles. But when we consider the naughty, wicked man, look now, the Bible said that he walketh with a forward mouth. And two of the seven things that the Lord hates is a lying tongue and a false witness that speaketh lies so there's our correlation this naughty wicked person the bible says winketh with his eyes and what we're going to study here today concerning one of the things which the lord hates is a proud what look the wicked naughty person speaketh with his feet one of the things that the lord hates are feet that are swift in running to mischief the naughty wicked person teacheth the bible says with his fingers and then some of the things that the Lord hates are hands that shed innocent blood. There's the correlation. The, 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 the naughty, wicked person, the forwardness that's in his heart. And that, I'm going to pair two together. The forwardness that's in his heart and he, he deviseth mischief continually, the Bible says. The correlation then with the seven things that God hates is that the Lord can't stand a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Lastly, we can't even... I don't have to draw a line for you, this, this one. The wicked man, he soweth discord. And the one of the things which the Lord hates is he that soweth discord among the brethren. And so what this naughty, wicked person has done, if you really consider it, his whole body, in many respects, his whole body has become a medium for what he desires to do. He has surrendered and given all of his members for this purpose. And there's a scripture that comes to mind when I consider this in Romans 6 and verse number 13. The Bible says this, Paul writing to the, the, those in Rome, he says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He says, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God and so here is a naughty wicked man that's engaging the members eyes mouth feet 
hands, the members of his body, if you will, in things that God hates. They have become instruments of unrighteousness unto sin rather than instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, consider for a moment, folks. This is a slap in the face of God. This is a slap in the face of God because if this individual has the ability and the willingness to render his members in a negative direction, in a negative turn, that means God knows and God knows anyway, but without doubt, if he would choose to, if he would be willing, he could turn those same members in a positive aspect for the kingdom of God. So how do you think God feels when one will render themselves to unrighteousness willingly, but not render themselves unto righteousness willingly? Because when we get to that, it's not about me being able to. Well, I can't. No, it's not about being able to yield or being able to not yield our members. It really comes down to who we are yielding our members to. I've lived upon this earth long enough to know this. You're going to yield your members to somebody. You're going to yield your members to someone. You're going to do it, hands down. So it's not, it's not the fact that we can't do it. It's about who we're doing it to, who we are yielding our members to. And so I, I, don't, want, I don't want to stand in the presence of the Lord and, and in a spiritual way slap God's face, so to speak, because I'm willing to yield my members to someone outside of him. Can someone say amen? Think how... Seriously, folks, consider how can this break the heart of God whenever someone is using their mouth, all right? I'm back. It's been a couple weeks. When someone is using their mouth to spread gossip, but they'll refuse to use that same mouth to spread the gospel. You understand what I'm talking about now? Can you imagine him cringing a little bit when people's using their eyes to look at perverse things, but they're reluctant to read his word? Someone say amen. We don't. The church, people overall, society, we don't have an ability problem. It's not because we are incapable. We have a direction problem. We have, a, we have a direction problem. Who that is turned to? A direction problem. So the Bible speaks to us here. There's, there's an overarching tragedy that's taken place here. This man has yielded several members of his body, instruments unto unrighteousness. He has all of this activity, all of this activity, but the man remains labeled the naughty, wicked man. Which literally, the, the word naughty person here is literally interpreted as a man of Belial. Amen. Well, you see that oftentimes in the Old Testament and sometimes in the New. A man of Belial. Belial means one that is with no profit. One that is worthless. Consider it. He has a lot of activity, but there's no profit from his activity. He has a lot of activity, but, but what, what is gleaned from that is nothing but Worthless. There's a lot of movement, but it's worthless. There's a lot of movement, but it is of no true value to that man or necessarily to anyone else. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 15, when it speaks about those being unequally yoked with unbelievers, it says, it goes on and says, and what concord, which means agreement or unity, what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? He says, what concord or what agreement or what unity hath Christ with Belial? Folks, this goes all the way back to our first lesson in the series, and this is only number two. It goes back to the first lesson that God hates things, but he loves people. And as long as we engage in Things that label us as the naughty person, that label us as the man of Belial, Christ can't have unity with us whenever we practice things that label us the man. He can't have oneness. He can't have oneness with us because he may love us, but there won't, it will be love without intimacy. Be love without intimacy. So the first thing, now we're getting to the subject matter today. So the first thing in the list, starting in verse 16, that God hates is a proud look. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is to get us a feel for the things that God abhors and detests. So this is not, well, if I keep these seven things all right, everything, no, 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 that's not it. This is not an exhaustive list. This is to give us a feel for the things that God abhors and detests. And so the first thing is a proud look and rightfully so. Because many times through the pages of scripture, when you look at different sins that people committed in their lives, many times pride has been the root cause of most, if not all, sin that took place in the word of God. As a matter of fact, pride is so horrific and pride is so terrible that it changed an angel into a devil. Yeah. Of course, I'm referring to the archangel Lucifer who was the cherubim, the anointed cherubim, the Bible said, that covereth. He fell, or might I say, was rather cast down from heaven due to, namely, pride. The Bible says, I have a lot of scripture today. Uh, Brother Zach uh, McGee, Wednesday night, I didn't have a whole lot of scripture, and I always send scriptures to him for that evening service. He said, boy, kind of short scripture, LOL, laughing out loud, all this good stuff. So I sent him my scriptures this morning, said, I'm trying to catch up from Wednesday, brother. Amen. <laughs> Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, notice all the eyes here, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Somebody's a little self-absorbed here. A lot, a lot of eyes we got going on here. And so due to, by one, due to the pride, amen, of an angel that was a created being of heaven, amen, that angel became what we know to be the devil. Amen. That Lucifer, the high archangel, became Satan the devil that we contend with still yet in our lives today. And it all goes back to stinking pride. For that matter, let's consider this. If an angel was subjected to that. You all know angels and neither am I. 
That doesn't keep us from being subjected to it as well. And so we got to go in this thing with open eyes. God, everybody say this with me. God hates pride. Over and over again throughout the scripture, whenever I read of pride in the word of God and stories where pride has rose to the surface, you know what I constantly see in the scripture? That God is constantly trying to bring that pride down or he made the proud low or he tried to abase the pride or that he cut off the proud. God is constantly trying to bring pride back into its proper position and we know by the word of God we know this from New Testament scripture the Bible says that if you are a friend of the world you will be an enemy of God right? If you're a friend of the world you'll be an enemy of God but here's another thing we don't concentrate too much on this is that that if we are proud you become an enemy of God when you're a friend of the world but you become resisted by God whenever you're prideful Mm -hmm. you become resisted by God James said in his writing of James 4 and 6 but he giveth more grace wherefore he saith God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble number one I don't want to be the enemy of God so I don't want to become the friend of the world in order to assume that position so I don't want to be the enemy of God but I'm not even willing to be resisted by God amen I'm not even willing to be resisted by God so so let's be honest here for a moment we could even show hands it's okay you can participate today won't hurt anybody how many have ever walked up to a door that you were supposed to pull on and you pushed on it instead. All right. Man, we don't feel like family around here. <gasps> I mean, sometimes, you know, and then I've went to that door sometimes, and then, and, you know, it, whatever. You push on it, and you're supposed to pull, and whenever I've done that, I've thought sometimes, man, this door's hard to open. You ever been there? Brother Brown, man, this thing, this thing's kind of stuck. It's hard. Maybe it's locked. It's not open yet. This is hard to open. And and in the moment that I do that and not yet come to the realization, I'm thinking, man, this door's resisting me. You know what I'm doing? Why ain't this thing working? You can press all you want to on the door supposed to be pulled. It's not coming open. And so I'm just, you know, pushing on that door. And then the reality comes. You all have that light bulb and you feel like an idiot and you look around and see if anybody's watching, right? Huh? All of a sudden, reality comes. Wow, you're supposed to pull on the door in order for it to open. And what we come to realization is this, is I'm really not working in harmony with the design and the purpose of the door. No, no, no. Someone listen to me, right? So I'm supposed to pull on this door, but I'm pressing. You know, I'm like, and it's always good whenever you're trying to go forward. Those are the best kind because you're like, you know. And it's like, what's wrong with this thing? It's like, what's wrong with this thing's resisting me? But when you finally get the, 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 that moment of clarity, you understand it's not so much the door's resisting you, but you're resisting to work in tandem with how it operates. And so, so we, we, we get this little thing, you know, going on in our lives. Sometimes I think people view, and James even, you know, seemed to illustrate it that sometimes we view God, God is resisting me or God is resisting what I'm doing. When in reality, we, we have that type of perception and we have that type of perspective. But in reality, what's taking place, we are not working in harmony with the way and the purpose of God. 
We're not working in harmony with the way and the purpose of God. And so I can stand there all day at a door that's supposed to be pulled over and try to push on it and blame the door all day long of resisting me. Right? But it's not resisting me as much as I'm resisting to comply with the way that it functions. With the way that it operates. Can I tell you this morning? Sometimes when you feel the resistance of God, you need to stop and ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Why is this taking place? Could it be that I might be trying to not work in tandem with the way that God wants something done right now or the way that God wants something to flow right? Maybe if I get in tandem with what God wants, what he desires, this thing will work appropriate. Amen. Someone say amen. And it's, it is hum, it is humbling, isn't it? Huh? That moment of realization is very humbling. You know, if my wife's there, I'm like, did anybody see that? It's humbling when you've been pushing and you should have been pulling. And what does that humility do for you? You're not so adamant just going at the door. You're kind of. You're even kind of tenderly pulling on it then, you know, just want to make sure this thing's going to operate right. And whenever you do, you get the expected result. The door, I know it's general, but the door opens. The door opens. Folks, whenever we get in a place that we are working in tandem, in harmony with what God desires, amen, what God expects, that resistance level that we perceive just drops just like this. And I know it can be humbling sometimes to realize, you know what, I've been working against God rather than working for Brother McGee, I am a busy person. Your busyness, that, that, that doesn't equate necessarily to being successful concerning the kingdom. It's what, again, you are busy about. Because you could be busy in the wrong direction. You could be pushing at a door you need to pull on. And here's the awesome thing. While God resisteth the proud, God gives much attention to the humble. God gives much attention to the humble. Not only that, and I'm trying to build on some of these lessons here. Not only does he give attention to the humble, but he draws near to the humble. The Bible says in Psalms 51 and verse 17, David putting his pen to parchment and says, the sacrifices of God are are a broken spirit. He says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. We're talking about the seven things that God hates, despises. And all of a sudden, David throws in here, here's something that God won't despise. A broken and a contrite heart. Look at Psalms 34 and verse 18. I like this one. This talks about that, that nighness. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit so he here here we don't want a proud look here we are back for lesson one we don't want a proud look god hates things he doesn't he can't stand that pride he'll love you but he'll be far from you at a distance but if you get a spirit of humility inside of you he's going to draw near you see what happens? You get a spirit of humility inside of you. Not only will he love you, he'll draw near. He'll seek and desire to be in relationship with you. The Bible says it like this. Look at it. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. It says, Thus saith the Lord, many of you could maybe quote this scripture, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. 
Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Now look at verse 2 because we normally don't go to verse 2. We just do verse 1. And he says, for all those things hath mine hand made. So I made the earth. I made the heavens. As a matter of fact, these, this house that you're building me, Solomon, amen, all the material, my hand supplied that. There's nothing you're using in that house going to give back to me that wasn't mine to begin with. He says, I had my hand in all of that. He said, for all those things hath mine hand made. Those things hath, have been, saith the Lord. He said, but to this man will I look. He says, to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Someone say amen. The Lord is just giving us a little insight to the power of humility out of everything that he could have his attention on the earth or the heavens or even something that man was making Solomon the most grandest temple ever to be built in the history of the world amen everything that he could give his attention to he said all of that he said my hands have made he said but if you want to get my attention he said don't build a bigger building he said don't make it more elaborate just come before me with a humble spirit come before me with pride and check and set down and you're going to get the attention of your God. Amen. I tell you, let me tell you something. We could, well, you can build the best of buildings, amen, and lose the attention of God. But if you get even the best of buildings, yet the people gather there in the spirit of humility, in a spirit of, of contrition, then you're going to have the attention of heaven. Amen. Because pride separates us from God. Pride separates us from God. It causes God to resist us, which, of course, in reality, we've already learned somewhat today, is it's really us resisting God. Sin in the garden, the earliest picture that we have of this separation that takes place. Sin in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. After their sin, they're set outside the garden, the Bible says. The cherubim was set there with a flaming sword to guard the entrance into the garden due to the sin that took place. But if we go a little further back than the partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if we go just a few steps back to the conversation that the serpent had with Eve, we'll understand one thing that that serpent kind of played to in Eve's life. He said this. He said, ye shall be as gods. He said, Eve, ye shall be as gods. What, what are you doing, serpent? He's appealing to the fleshly side of our humanity. He's feeding her ego. He's stroking her pride. Ye shall be as gods. And stroking the pride of humanity. Bishop, stroking the pride of humanity made humanity feel like they were good enough to partake of a tree that God said don't partake of. And they ate it and sin ensued and they are then finding themselves sitting on the outside of the garden. But I take its root all the way back to somebody stroking a thread of pride in the life of humanity. And let me tell you this morning, let me tell you, it's the same spirit, that spirit of pride that found its roots in the garden. It's the same spirit. 
even that found its roots in the first kingdom in Genesis 11 that were being created whenever Nimrod came and they were building up the Tower of Babel, a tower that would reach into the heavens. Amen. That all is falling along the same vein of pride because their chant was this in Genesis 11 and verse 4. Their chant was this, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Listen to him now. And let us make us a name. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The first kingdom that we read of in the scripture is this one. Amen. And yet it has that same root of pride that humanity is trying to deal with. And the Bible tells us that the Lord seen all this taking place and he comes down and he, he, he confuses their language and he calls that place Babel or if you will, what we'd even known today as Babylon. Amen. Because pride isn't just, just something over here like parsley on a plate. Pride is a spiritual system. Yeah. Pride is a spiritual system that tried to weave its way in the garden, tried to weave its way in the first kingdom. And it's a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom of Babylon, of pride, that's even still in the world today. It is driven by pride, and God will not tolerate, he will not tolerate pride. Let me just go through a few verses of scripture. The Bible says in Psalms 101 and verse 5, him that hath a high look and a proud heart, he says, will not I suffer proverbs 15 25 the lord will destroy the house of the proud proverbs 16 and 5 everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the lord god will not tolerate pride as a matter of fact whenever in timothy and titus whenever the qualifications is given for a bishop or an overseer and the elders and deacons there is a line in there that contends with this idea of pride. It says in 1 Timothy 3 and 6, verse 6, these are qualifications, but I'm kind of just in the middle here. It says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So among these qualifications for overseers or qualifications for bishops listed here in 1 Timothy 3 is that he be not a novice. Why? Because... Well, one thing, this, this way he would be less likely to be lifted up with pride because sometimes people that are novices are beginners in anything. Church life, work life, anything. You bring somebody in that's a beginner, you tell them what they need to do, and honey, they tighten their belt loop up like they already know it all. It's just one of those marks on humanity, you know? And sometimes we do it because we really think that. Other times we do it because we don't want to think as though someone has one over us. Okay, you all don't do that. It's okay. But anyway, like you don't want anybody to have anything over you. And so a lot of times that, that comes with, 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 with a novice. He said, so lest he be lifted up in pride and fall. Though note what he said, lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Because the condemnation of the devil, what could I say? What condemned the devil was his pride. Back whenever he was an angel. And whenever you exhibit pride in your life, and novices many times are more prone to sin. Whenever you exhibit that, you have failed to the condemnation of the devil. Can I say it like this? We're acting like the devil when we exhibit pride. Amen. We're kin to the enemy when we're exercising in the spirit of pride. And so pride is so detestable. 
that even the Lord concerning the Apostle Paul, such a detestable trait, that the Lord, whenever he, he, he had Paul there, he gave Paul a permanent thorn in his flesh, the Bible says, so that he would not be exalted above measure. Pride was so detestable, pride was such an evil, that the Lord said, I'm going to counteract this with a thorn in your flesh, Paul, so it keeps you where you need to be at. He gave him something that would seem to be injurious that Paul suffered with just for the sake of keeping Paul where he needed to be concerning his pride level. And this is what Paul said about it then. At least I believe what Paul was speaking of in Romans 12 and verse number three. Here's Paul's admonition. And I believe he's speaking of, the, of, of this thorn because that thorn in the flesh, he asked God for grace three times and God told him my grace is sufficient to thee and he was talking about the thorn. In many ways, he was talking about the thorn. And so Paul says, for I say, through the grace that was given to me. You know what I believe Paul is alluding to? The thorn that God gave him. Through the grace that is given to me and to every man that is among you, not to think of himself, look, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul said, I had to watch it so much that God had to give me something to counteract that thing from arising up in my life. Because the Bible says Paul had been to the third heavens, seen things, heard things that he couldn't even utter. When you get a vision of that, I tell you what, you start walking a little higher. And he says, I, I was given a thorn, though, to keep me where I needed to be because this pride thing is so evil, so it can proliferate a whole life. Now, let me ask you something today. What, what do we have to be proud about? I'm not talking about, well, I'm proud of my kids. And so I'm talking about an unhealthy, prideful spirit. What do we really have to be proud about? Oh, I got a really nice home. and uh, Good job, you know. I mean, what, what, what do we have to be proud about? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 4, let's just skip to verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And one has, ask yourself this, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? What do we got, what do we got to be proud about? Well, Brother McGee, I want you to know right now, I, I got a really good job. That's great. That's great. Do you receive that job? Well, yeah, when you know, I went in and I, I had, I had, Several interviews, and I have my portfolio and my education. Okay, where'd you get your education? Well, I got it from wherever, Ball State University. I got my education from that's That's good, Richmond School. Yeah, yeah, I got it from there. How'd you get? Well, I got a scholarship. I did good grades. That's great. That's okay. Okay, what about your intelligence? Where'd that come from? Where'd that brain up there in your skull come from? Where'd your ability to have skills to be able to think and process thought? Where, where'd that come from? And yet, people in life will walk in this life as though the things that they have, they didn't receive. God helps you a little bit and lets you think that you did it, but I'm telling you, there's the master behind the curtain. Everything that looks like it came about on surface because of me, no. There's a master, there's a master plan and there's a master planner who's had a hand in every division of your life. I don't care what you've got. I, really, it, 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 it doesn't, it, 
I'm not impressed. I don't care what you got. I don't care, you know, whatever advances you've made in life. All that's great and fine, and that's tremendous. But let me tell you one thing. It all finds its place, direct line, right back to God. So if I'm going to, like Paul, he said, he said I, I, I count all things, he said, as loss. He said, if I'm going to glory in anything, what Paul say? He said, if I'm going to glory in anything, he said, I'm going to glory in the cross and the action that took place on the cross. He said, I can't glory in my pedigree. I can't glory in the fact of being a Pharisee or from the tribe. I can't glory in anything. So if I glory in anything, it's going to be in the cross of Calvary. Folks, we need to somehow identify with the apostle Paul today. I can't tell you how great a house I have or how good of a job I have or how intelligent I am or how many awards I've won. I will tell you one thing though. I am who I am and what I am because of the Lord Jesus. Christ absolutely don't have anything to be proud about it's not anything that I have that I did not in some degree receive from the Lord and for that matter what advantage is there at being prideful I read a scripture, I, I, read, I ran all these references on proud, prideful, arrogance, haughty, whatever, high-minded in the scripture. And I came across this verse, and I'm just sharing you a phrase of the verse. In Psalm 73 and 6, it says this, Pride compasseth them about as a chain. Pride compasseth them about as a chain. A chain. I don't know the, the degree of, of the weight of it, but perhaps it was heavy, but nevertheless it's somewhat incarcerating. Compass them bow as a chain. Can you imagine that the myth of your own importance incarcerating you? Huh? Matter of fact, I'm currently reading, I'll share this with you today. I'm currently reading several books, but there's one in particular I'm currently reading called Face Your Fear. And in it, the author who is a rabbi, he talks about whenever we make make our lives when we make our lives and how for a lot of a lot of us we make our lives all about us we deny it but we do in reality get down to bare bones we do and whenever we make our lives all about us we make ourselves a bigger target and he said this and this was so interesting he said i know people who are so consumed with themselves that they're convinced that everybody is talking about them now follow me here and so whenever I first read that statement, Brother Mason, I underlined it. For one, it was peculiar. It intrigued me a little bit. And so I wanted to think upon this a little bit. And so whenever I read that statement, I thought, man, that seems just a little bit odd because a lot of times I thought about the idea that usually whenever people, if a person walked into a room and thought other people were talking about them, that meant that that person that walked into the room was usually, you know, insecure. And this guy kind of, you know, same with, people convinced that they're talking about them it must be that they're consumed with themselves and I'm thinking man how can this be but then it brought clarity I said at my desk but I'm just going to look up the word insecure in just our regular good old dictionary and see what it says and when I looked up the definition of insecure it said uncertainty or anxiety about oneself Huh? it says uncertainty or anxiety about oneself so they're embedded in the least likely of places or, or thoughts if you will is the spirit of pride see I was taken off course said someone walking in the room well, I think they're all talking about me well he must be thinking a lot by himself no I thought that's an insecure person but an insecure person is thinking about themselves yeah they're anxious they're unsure about 
what it comes down to, we walk in a room and we think, we, this, this, our mind doesn't process like this, but this is really the underlying of it. We think we're so important that everybody's eyes are going to look at us, consider what we're doing, what we're not doing, how we stand, how we sit, how we talk, how we and what's that all about? Me, 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 me. Listen, even at that level today, some of us need to be delivered from a spirit of pride. Just because you walk into the room, every conversation ain't about you. Every word, every gesture, every bit of body language is not about you. Furthermore, I mean, what, 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 what advantage is there to be pride? Consider this scripture. And I've had this one for a long time. I, I, I rely on to look at it every once in a while. Proverbs 13.10 says, everybody say only. That's an important word in this sentence. Only by pride cometh contention. Let me put it in Paul McGee language. Contention doesn't come by any other venue or way but pride. You want to know why there's this ruckus or contention? Maybe in your home, your family, you with someone else. I'll tell you what it all goes back to. Pride. Pride is rearing its head somewhere. A lot of times me and my wife, get, get if we get in an argument, you know what's over? It's pride. Somebody doesn't want to serve somebody else. Somebody doesn't want to bow down and say, you know what? I was wrong. Pride. Pride. You know what? It's not just in family relationships. It happens in church problems too. The enemy raises his head, and if there's contention in the church, you know where it came from? Pride. Honey, that's the spirit that the enemy's been trying to infiltrate from the very beginning since he's failed by it. We need to stand strong. And somehow work in harmony with the spirit of the almighty God. And so it's this type of thing. It's this type of thing. It's very counterproductive for our Christian lives, our relationship with God. Because God abhors, he detests pride. Consider these verses of Scripture, and I'll try to hasten to a close if you'll stand with me today. End with a few verses of Scripture here today. He hates a proud look, pride. Psalms 138 and verse 6. It says, though the Lord be high, Yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth. Here we are again, afar off. The proud afar off. Not close, not nigh. Not, not cuddling, not in that close relationship. Afar off. Psalms 10 and verse number 4. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. And God is not in all his thoughts. And so whenever we pair even just these two verses together, the one in 138 and the one in Psalms 10, when we pair these two verses together, I believe it explains the real dilemma. It explains the real tragedy of the situation. That due to pride, the Lord stays afar off at a distance. And because of pride, we, Everybody say me. We do not seek God and don't even entertain God in our thoughts because we are so self-absorbed. So here's the scenario. 
God then, if we're prideful, God at a distance, God at a distance is acknowledging us. But me, the prideful, is not aware of it because I'm not even entertaining the thoughts of God. He's acknowledging us at a distance, but we don't even recognize it because we're not even entertaining the thoughts of God. For that matter, they don't even realize God is at distance from them. Or even know where he's at. It's for some of these very reasons that God hates a proud look or pride within the life of God. Brother Pat, here here you you're a prideful person. Okay, we're just gonna imagine here for a moment. Probably the least prideful person. Here's Brother Pat. He's got pride. I love Brother Pat. I'm God. We all in trouble. I'm God. I love Brother Pat, but he's got pride in his life. I can't, I can't get close to him because of that, because that's something I detest. That thing is something I detest. So from afar off, I'm still loving him. I'm acknowledging him. But Brother Pat, you so prideful, you're not seeking for me. You're not looking for me. You're not even entertaining any ideas concerning about you understand what type of breach that forms in a relationship that you try to have with God because although God's trying to acknowledge you at a distance you're not even acknowledging him do you understand then how much so that becomes a thing that God hates huh you can get in like this because he detests that it takes let me tell you folks it takes a miracle it takes a miracle for some of these things to be broken. It takes a miracle. God is, not, God is not incapable of allowing that to happen. Things come into your life, so to speak, that what? Get your mind, start to thinking less about yourself and then about God. David said, he said, before basically he... Uh, he was talking about his closeness with the Lord that he had. He said, but before that, he said, I went astray. <laughs> Meaning that his going astray brought about the closeness. But he had to go astray first before he got close. And so sometimes things come into our lives. So why does this problem, heartache, this is that? Because it seems like whenever people are in a bad shape in life, what I don't care who you are, church or unchurched, you know what people do? They look to God. Because sometimes that's the only way he can get our prideful attention dilemma there's this there's that oh there's God wow he's further than me than what I used to remember we we need to do something about about this we need to do something about this if we can bow our heads in this place this morning God hates a proud look God hates a proud look God loves you sir God loves you ma'am but God cannot stand pride in our life he has not he has not tolerated it since before the Garden of Eden in heaven with Lucifer. And he's not willing to tolerate it now in our society, in our day, in our age. Folks, we don't want to go the path of the naughty man. We don't want to go the path of the wicked man. We don't want our idleness to turn into busyness about things that don't matter and have no eternal regard. No, 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 no. 
but we want to do the things that are in tandem, in agreement, in oneness with the master. The things that are pleasing to him, we need to take them as things that are pleasing to us. And the things that he detests, we need to adopt that they detest. They're detested as well in our own lives. Because if we'll practice that, we will have a God that loves us and we'll love him. But we'll also be in close, knitted relationship with him. Hallelujah. If you're in this place this morning, you say, well, Brother McGee, I'm not, pr- I'm not prideful. That, that's great. I've come to find in my own life, a lot of times, it really took some soul searching to find out, you know what? Paul McGee is prideful. Paul McGee's just a little bit arrogant. Paul McGee just has a little bit too much self that he thinks of himself you know sometimes like a like a Sunday with a cherry on top too sometimes you got to look very introspective in order to realize that you're bearing somewhat of a prideful spirit in your life prideful about your business prideful about where you are in life no 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 you know what we need to do today we need to come before the Lord and we need to pull back the curtain of our lives and God I want you to get down in every little niche every little cranny of my life and God I want you to put your finger upon every little strand of pride in my life it's a good prayer let me admonish you today it's a good prayer to pray when you pray that God every every speck every venue Lord of pride that's in my life I ask God many times God destroy pride in my life destroy pride in my life because I know if it's there God is going to separate me from you destroy pride in my life I know if it's there oh God if it's there oh God I'm not going to acknowledge you I'm not going to be seeking for you thank you for listening If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.